Now, there's a lot that I could say about the topic that I'm preaching on tonight, but suffice it to say that what I want to do is not talk to you about children. Uh, I want to talk to you primarily about that child that was never born. Unfortunately, in the ministry that Becky and I have had through the years, and I've lost count of how many couples that we have prayed with where there's been a stillborn child, I've lost count. I went out today and went for a walk and just began thinking of some of the babies that I've held that never were brought to full term, and I've held them in my hands. Some of them I've held them in one hand. If you were to come to our home today in our front flower bed, there's a beautiful rose bush that's blooming that we planted 16 years ago. And had that little girl named Elizabeth lived, she would be 16 years old today. And incidentally, it the, has the most blooms that it's ever had before since we planted that rose. It's just beautiful with all the roses that are covering. I was talking to the mother of that child not long ago, and she began to cry, and we began to talk about the goodness of God. Those pains don't ever go away. I also want to talk to you tonight about the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings and talk about the reality of those children in their lives. So I'm going to ask you to look with me at the Word of the Lord tonight, and we're going to go, first of all, to a passage of Scripture that I want to begin with that I think gives us a lot of hope. And this is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. And now, dear brothers and sisters... We want you to know what will happen to believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from the graves. Then together, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up with the Lord to meet him in the air. There we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. I'd like you to underline that in your Bible. If it's not underlined in your notes tonight, just kind of circle that. Encourage each other with these words. And my prayer tonight is that this message will be a real encouragement to you. It will not only make you wise about some of the issues that we're facing in the times and the days that we're living in, but it will make us wise as well. The first thing I want you to see is that the unborn child is a human soul. The unborn child is a human soul. That's one of the most important points that I can think of to make about children and babies and the prenatal condition of a child. I remember when our first son was born, and I'd never really paid a whole lot of attention to a lot of the terminology that was used, but suddenly I became interested in what were prenatal vitamins, what was prenatal care, and I began looking up those words and understanding that this meant before the nativity, this meant before the child was born. 
I began reading about what was going on inside the mother's womb and what was going on inside of that baby's life. I talked with doctors and called friends of mine that were doctors. One of my friends who was a cardiovascular surgeon, and his son is practicing cardiovascular surgery in Ohio, the state next to us. But in those days, his dad was a part of our congregation, and we were very close. And I said, talk to me about when the heart begins to beat and just learning about all of the biology that goes on. But I will never forget when Dr. Purvis said to me, he says, one thing you have to remember, that baby is a living soul. And that's something so important. Look at this next verse of Scripture with me. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. For years, I've told you, for over 20 years, I've told you, if you want to understand the Bible, you really have to familiarize yourself and understand the first three chapters of Genesis. Because everything that you find in the first three chapters of Genesis, you'll find throughout the Bible, and you'll also find in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It's very important to understand that life did not begin in an ocean. Life did not begin with a cataclysmic collision of some atoms in space or energy in space. But God is the progenitor of life. And by progenitor, we mean that God is the source of life. God is the giver of life. Life is in God. And so I wrote a little statement that I'd like you to think about uh, later after this service is over. Life is in God. A man and a woman have the capacity to beget life, and conception is an act of human responsibility. Now, I'll leave that statement up on the screen for just a moment and while I talk to you about that. Life is in God. Life did not begin in some cosmic soup, but God is the source of life. And when God created Adam... Genesis makes it clear that God breathed into Adam. He shaped a body for Adam. He breathed into Adam, and the Bible says that Adam became a living soul. The body wasn't alive until God breathed into him. Life came from God. Now, this is the point that's so very important, and I hope those of you online, you're listening as well to this. The fact is... The source of all life began with God, and then life could be begetted. I'm deliberately using an old King James English word because it helps us get, because if you read Matthew, it talks, if we read a modern translation, it would say, Adam became the father of, you know, John became the father of. But that word beget is an important word because it means that when the seed of the man is combined with the seed of the woman, the egg of the woman, then life is passed on. Life begins at conception. But the source of life began with God. And the life is in God. God breathed life into Adam, gave to human beings the possibilities of being able to, to, to come together sexually and to beget life which means then that conception is an act of human responsibility, which really has, hear me on this, has dramatic importance for our responsibility for how we live our lives sexually. It has dramatic importance to how we live our lives and how we behave sexually. 
And it's why it's so important and why God says that sex is reserved when two people commit their lives together in marriage because you have that sacred gift of begetting life. And even if, and and this is one of the, the things that I have conversations sometimes with students on, sometimes I have conversations with parents that come to me about in vitro fertilization, and I just sit down and I'm very honest with them. You know, I've, I've talked with doctors, I've talked with geneticists about this. Even if the, the egg and the, 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 the sperm is, is combined in a test tube, human beings are not creating life. You know, the old phrase we don't use anymore, but a test tube baby. Scientists did not create a test tube baby. They have to have what God gave in creation to give. And one of the things that you have to remember is that even in an in vitro fertilization, that sometimes there are many times, not sometimes, many times according to those that I've talked to, that they will take fertilized eggs, they will take uh, the sperm of the egg, and they will decide whether it's viable or not viable. In other words, they'll decide whether that life is going to live or not live, and they will flush what they call the viable ones down the drain into the sewer. This statement is huge. Life is in God. A man and a woman have the capacity to beget life. Scientists don't have the capacity to beget life scientifically. We don't have the capacity to do it artificially, but people, a man and a woman, have the capacity in marriage or the capacity outside of marriage to beget life. Therefore, conception is an act of human responsibility. This church is a responsibility to me as a pastor. My wife is a responsibility to me as a pastor. To abuse this church or to abuse my wife is wrong. It's immoral. It's unethical. To abuse our children, it's a responsibility. We talk about abuse of money. We talk about abuse of time. We talk about abuse of environment. But friends, we have an even greater responsibility for how we live our lives, knowing that the ability to beget life is such an important part of what it means to be a human being. You made all the details, or excuse me, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. God is watching over the growth of that child. There are often times when I'm praying, and we just had another baby born here in the congregation, and I'm just so thankful for this new little baby. And the dad called me the other day, and he says, Pastor, I think you were being prophetic when I, when I told you about the fact that we were going to have a baby. He said, you even said the name that we had already decided upon when you were praying for the baby. And, and, and I didn't mean to. I don't even know where that name came from. But I remember while I was praying for them, I called a baby's name out. And that's the name of the baby. And she's come into this world bringing such joy and happiness to the family. But that whole time as we prayed, we were remembering God is the one that is knitting together. Now, here's what I want you to get from that. And please follow me online with this. There is a sense of God's authority being demonstrated in the womb. There is the sense of the sovereignty of God being demonstrated in the womb, of God's protection being made in the womb. Look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 43. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? 
Now, if you just read that on the surface without reading that whole passage, you might be a little surprised. Let me see if I can kind of give you the details of it. Mary, who was probably about three to four weeks, maybe less, but three to four weeks pregnant with our Lord, the Virgin Mary, pregnant with our Lord, she goes to stay with her Aunt Elizabeth for a few months. We know that Elizabeth is about six months alone. Mary stays with her three months. And when Mary arrives at the house, now get this, Elizabeth did not know that Mary was pregnant. But the baby leapt for joy in her womb, Elizabeth said. <gasps> and suddenly, Elizabeth knew she looked at Mary. Mary, this peasant girl, Elizabeth, the wife of a priest. And she looks at Mary and goes, oh, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should come to meet me? Do you remember what Zechariah, what the angel said to Zechariah? He said, that your son John, he will be the forerunner. He will go ahead and proclaim the coming of the Messiah. John started proclaiming the, the arrival of the Messiah when he was only six months old. He leapt for joy. His mother knew somehow. You say, Pastor, why is that so important? Because life begins at conception. When the man's sperm and the woman's egg come together, which brings up a whole host of questions, painful questions that Becky and I have had to deal with, painful questions that hit us from the very first of our ministry. I was reflecting today upon a father who lives in another state that I happen to be very, very close to. But before he really became a committed, passionate follower of Christ, his daughter became pregnant, 15 years old. He was so afraid and so worried what this would do to her future. They didn't tell her mother. He took her, and they had an abortion done on the baby. Neither the boy nor the girl's mother, nor just the two of them. There came a knock at our front door, and I went to the door and answered the door. And, and I looked at my friend, who was a very successful man, very prosperous man, lived in the finest section of our, of our town, drove the finest cars, had everything financially you could, you could imagine. They had owned several businesses. And he was ashen, and I invited him in and sat down on the sofa, and all of a sudden he just fell on my shoulder weeping and crying. And I said, what's wrong? And through the tears, he said, Pastor, I just aborted my first grandchild. And then he shared the whole story, a part of which I just shared with you. I didn't want him to have just a cathartic experience and cry on my shoulder and feel better. But we spent some time, even to the point where I had the opportunity to later to minister to more of the family of what had actually happened. I'm happy to tell you he's still a very close friend. I get calls from him several times a year. His daughter's doing well now. But there was a road of repentance to travel as he came to realize that what they had done was not just get rid of some tissue or protoplasm in the womb of his daughter. 
But what they had done was they had ended, they had terminated the life of a human being. So if you've had an abortion or you've encouraged one, I want you to know this, God's grace is extended towards you. And there are members of our congregation that have experienced that. There are members of our congregation that have walked through that and we've wept and we've prayed together. There are members of our congregation both before they became Christians and some who after they became Christians before they really understood what they were doing, that they've happened. What I want you to know is that God's grace is extended to you. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. But God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Would you underline that? God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So, Pastor, what would you say to someone that had an abortion or encourage someone to have an abortion? I'd want you to know, first of all, there is forgiveness and there is grace. But first, you must turn to God. You're never going to find peace and you're never going to find comfort until you turn to God. That's what repentance is. It's turning to God. The second thing is confess it to the Lord. Confess it to God and confess it to someone that you trust. Confess it to a a pastor someone that will keep your confidence. Confess it to a a trusted family member that will keep your confidence. Confess it to someone that you know you don't have to worry about the fact that they will ever, ever repeat that again, that you can trust them. Because as our friends in Alcoholics Anonymous tell us, is we are only as sick as our secrets. But people who walk around burying secrets and burying things inside of themselves, they never find the healing and the recovery that they can have. And then the third thing is receive God's forgiveness and grace. There is forgiveness for you. And grace means that God will give you what you don't deserve. God will give you life. God will give you another chance. God will give you hope. God will give you a family. I've had young women come to me and say, God will never give me another child. You know, they've had problems conceiving. I says, as long as you're thinking that way, you're going to have problems conceiving with your husband. God is not intent on punishing you. He punished Christ for our sins. When you turn to him, he forgives your sins. He washes them all away. It's just as though you've never sinned. And then begin again. Start over. Don't keep holding your head down, but start over And then I would say this, and I feel funny even having to say it, but it just needs to be said, abstain from sex until you're married. Abstain from sex until you're married. Because what I hope you're gathering already is the unborn child is a human being. Politicians don't get to decide this. Scientists don't get to decide this. The culture doesn't get to decide this. God decided that the unborn child is a human being I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb before you were born I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations what's the Bible saying there's that authority of God being revealed again God is saying that even when you were in the womb that prenatal existence that unborn child is a human soul that unborn child is a human being God said I knew you look with me at Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 5 and now the Lord speaks the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him both Jeremiah and Isaiah the prophet are saying God gave them 
them their call while they were still in the womb. God called them while they, they didn't know that they were called, but God's call was upon them when they were in the womb. When I was born, I believe I've shared this before here at the church, but when I was born and the doctors lay me on a table, my body was totally misshapen. This part of my body was all turned out backwards and my organs on the outside. In those first few years of my life, I remember all of that the, the way my body was misshapen and those organs being out there and the special care that had to be taken, but they laid me on the table and said, he's going to die that very night. My mother and father, as they began to pray, the Holy Spirit spoke to them, not in an audible voice, and said, this child will live and this child will grow up to preach the gospel. And the doctors laughed at them when they, not laughed, but just, just tried to humor them that this wasn't going to happen. And yet, friends, God knew me, God called me, God knew you, and God had a plan for your life before you were ever born. That's the important thing to remember. The unborn child is a human being. When I, look at this, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before his birth. Who's that talking about? John the Baptist. He will be filled. You don't fill a dead piece of protoplasm. You don't feel a non-entity. If you understand the order of created beings, those angelic beings and human beings, if you understand this, you don't feel an inanimate object with the Spirit of God. It's not that this building is filled with the Spirit of God. You are filled with the Spirit of God. We may talk about the Spirit of the Lord being so real in this place, but it's real in this pl He's real in this place because we are gathered in this place together. God filled John with the Holy Spirit. And there's the verse I just referred to earlier where Elizabeth says to Mary, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. The third thing I want you to see in this message tonight is the unborn child is an eternal being. The unborn child is an eternal being. C.S. Lewis was fond of saying, you never talk to, you never shake hands with a mortal human being. You always talk to an immortal human being. Because when this body dies, you'll either go to live in the presence of the Lord forever or you'll die and go to the grave, the place the Bible calls Hades, and at the end of time be cast into the lake of fire if you die without Christ into the place called Gehenna, which is hell. You and I are going to live forever. We're either going to live in the presence of God or we're going to die apart from the presence of God. The unborn child is an eternal being. Those times when I have been there, when there's been that stillborn child, those times when I've been there and maybe that baby lived for just a few hours. Those times when a mother has looked at me and said, Pastor, would you like to hold our son? Would you like to hold our daughter? And like I said earlier, sometimes I lay right here in the palm of my hand. And I look at that little body and then I take the mother's hand and I tell the father, take my hand and your wife's hand and we give God thanks 
that the soul of that child is with the Lord. God did not take that child. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world that sin is scarred and bad things happen in this fallen world that we live in. But that child is with Jesus. Now, please hear me on this. Because I've had those moms look at me and those dads look at me. Will we know them when we get to heaven? What will they be like? Will they be like this little bitty baby? No. They won't be protoplasm. You're going to see them as they really are, as God has known them from the beginning. Sometimes, sometimes that child has died and possibly most of the time the husband has not been a Christian. Sometimes it's been the wife that's not been a Christian. I had a couple that I pastored in Georgia. He came to know Jesus in a great way. His wife was involved in the occult and it took a long time before she crossed the line to give her life to Jesus. But when they lost their child, it was a moment of crisis. And I will never forget him looking at me and saying, how do I know this child will be in heaven and not hell? My wife, who was a sweet woman, she was a very sweet woman, very talented woman, but she just did not believe that Jesus was Jesus. She just didn't believe the Bible. She later became a follower of Jesus. So I shared with him this verse of Scripture I want to share with you. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. This is not a salvific passage, but what this is saying is that that child is holy. That child, if an unbeliever and a believer are married together, let's say a couple got married before they knew, a couple got married before they knew Christ and one came to know Christ, that doesn't mean that they break up the marriage. They keep the marriage together. Their children are holy. They're set apart to the Lord. Look at Genesis 18, verse 25, where Abraham intercedes with the Lord. He says, surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous alone with the wicked. Why? You would be treating the righteous, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Don't you admire the faith of Abraham to be so bold before the Lord? Don't you admire the faith of Abraham to cry out to the Lord? And, and this is left written for us. And God says, if there are only 10 righteous, I will not destroy the city. How do I know that a child, that a unborn child or a child that dies goes to heaven? Because that child has not had the opportunity to sin. That child has not had the opportunity to know the difference between right or wrong. And when I hear a radio preacher talking about we don't know, that is sheer nonsense. We do know upon the authority of God's Word where that child goes. So if you've lost a child, or if you've had an unborn child to die, or if before you became a Christian you had an abortion, or you encouraged somebody to have an abortion, you need to know that child is an eternal being. David said this, excuse me, Job said this, had I died at birth, I would now be at peace, and I would be asleep and at rest. Would you circle that word, uh, that phrase, asleep and at rest? That's an important phrase. Because that is more than just saying their body is buried. 
that word actually means they have been ushered into the presence of God. Job was saying, it would have been better if I had died. God is, that's not what God wants is for us to die at birth, but Job's misery was so terrible that he said, it would have been better if I did, because then I would have been right into the presence of the Lord. And I want you just to ponder that for a moment. It's not what I want for anybody's baby. It's not what I want for anybody's child. It's not what I want for my children or for my grandchildren. But this is the confidence I have. That if my child or if my children was to die, they would go into the presence of the Lord. And that, friends, brings a great deal of hope and comfort. Which leads me to the final point I want to bring tonight. And the unborn child will be recognizable in heaven. The unborn child will be recognizable in heaven. I don't know how to explain all of this. So what I do is I point people to Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus was resurrected? And when he showed up and he shocked the disciples... And they said, it's a ghost. Do you remember that? It's a ghost. You and I would never do that today. We're far too sophisticated. We would never do that. I bet we would if somebody that died all of a sudden walked into this room. Most of us in here would be, oh, you know. But Jesus walked in that room and he says, look, I'm not a ghost. Have you got something to eat? Have you got something to drink? And he ate with them. And it was so beautiful. It was so wonderful. Another time he showed up with two guys and walked along with them. And he sat down at the table. And when he blessed the bread, when he blessed the meal, their eyes were open and they recognized Jesus. The disciples recognized Jesus. Those two men walking on the road to Emmaus, they recognized Jesus. 500 witnesses recognized Jesus. I want you to know you're going to recognize your unborn child in heaven. And when I think about the millions of babies that have been aborted, when I think about divine healing, and that's the series that I've been in on Wednesday nights, this is probably one of the greatest messages of comfort to me personally when I think about all of those children, funerals that I preach for them, when I think about those that have come to me and I pray with them when they've had an abortion, and that is to say to them, you know, because you've confessed your sins, because you've turned to God, because you've invited him into your heart, there's going to come a day when you're going to be in heaven and there's going to be a little girl or a little boy you're going to meet and you're going to recognize And your heart is not going to be overwhelmed with guilt. Your heart is not going to be overwhelmed with, I'm praying for your healing now that you're going to heal emotionally. I'm praying for your healing now that you're going to heal spiritually. You're recovering. I understand that. But when you get to heaven, there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be only the presence of God, and you will see And that child will see you, and that child will have understood more. But you will recognize them. How old will they be? I don't know. 
I kind of agree with some of the early church theologians when in the early church when they said, what age will we be when we get to heaven? They said Jesus died and was resurrected at age 33. That's the age we're going to be. I'd like to have the body I had when I was 33 years old. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'd like to have the body I had when I was 33 years old. Here's the point I'm making to you tonight. You're going to know them. Paul says that there is a difference between our earthly bodies and our resurrection bodies. Look at this next verse of Scripture with me tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are also bodies in heaven, and there are bodies on earth. And the glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the earthly bodies. What is he saying? The resurrection body is based upon the Scripture. Even though I know Jesus says, you, he says, Thomas, put your fingers in my scars. I believe when I get to heaven, and I'm working on a message for this series now, what about people with disabilities? I believe when I get to heaven, I will have no more disabilities. I believe when I get to heaven, these scars are going to be gone. I believe when I get to heaven, the things that I've never been able to do, I will be able to do. I believe that with all my heart. Because the glory of the resurrection body will not be tainted by sin. It will be a redeemed body that is resurrected. Can you say amen to that? And that's important. You say, why? Again. Because when parents who've had an abortion when they were university students and they didn't think they could afford the child, or when a dad comes to me and says, after what they did, how can there be? I don't know how there can be. But if God can resurrect a sailor from the bottom of the ocean, if God can resurrect where I've stood in Europe where bombs have been dropped upon to groups of soldiers as they were fighting together and we're still uncovering the remains of those soldiers, skeletal parts scattered all over the place. If God can resurrect them, God can resurrect a baby as well. Can you say amen? And that's so important to remember. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Isn't that powerful? You're going to go see those children so for your friends that maybe have lost a child, maybe they've had a stillborn birth. I just recently had to walk through this with another family. We cried. We've wept. We've grieved. We've had a memorial service because they didn't even get the body. I just recently went through this with my own daughter-in-law and son before our last grandson was born. We've cried. We've wept. But there's coming a day when we're going to go meet them because life begins at conception. You don't get to say when life begins. God says it because life is in God and God gave to a man and woman the ability to beget life. Therefore, conception becomes one of the most awesome human responsibilities there is. Look at Zechariah, and this is for those of you who maybe lost a little older child. And the streets of the city, this is talking about the New Jerusalem, 
and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. They're going to be children. You can bet your bottom dollar there's going to be children. And one more so that you know that you'll recognize them. The Bible says that when Jesus was transfigured on the mount, that then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with him. So what do we do with this message tonight? How do we apply this message? And why on healing do you do this? Because healing is not just healing of the body. Healing is healing of the soul as well. It's healing of the emotions as well. There's another passage of Scripture, and I just sometimes you just have to decide which one you're going to use, but there's another passage of Scripture that I could have shared with you tonight that talks about how God is even supervising the emotions that are in a child. And there's so much I'd like to say, but did you know a child feels emotions in the womb? Did you know a child is spiritually responsive in the womb? Remember John the Baptist? He was spiritually responsive when Jesus showed at the door. He let, when Mary showed up at the door with the infant Jesus, only three to four weeks old, in the womb, when he showed up, the baby leapt for joy. Do you know there's emotions? We've been able to track, like if a, if a mom is watching a scary movie, uh, the one that comes to mind is they used the movie Jaws and they attached it to the, to, to the mother's wombs and the baby would react to the mother's fear when the Jaws, when the shark would jump out. Babies know if you're happy, the unborn child. They may not be able to think and reason the way we think, but there is emotion there. There is reason there. There's spiritual perception that is there. This is so real. When Andrew was born, and, and, and our first son, when he was born, the, adopt, the, the mother that was carrying that baby, I made a tape, and she would lay that tape player up next to her stomach. I prayed. I read scriptures. I told him things we were going to do as he got older. I, every day, every day, something, something new, something different. When he was born, and I walked into the room, and I said something, his little head moved, and the nurse looked, and she looked at me because she knew what was going on. She looked, she, she says, he knows your voice. She says, that's what happens when a, when a, a dad, a, a biological dad has been there. The baby's head responds, he knows your voice. I asked the doctor about it later. He says, of course he knows your voice. He's heard it all these months, and he's been growing in the womb. Babies have the ability to experience emotion. They have the ability to spiritually respond. So I would say pray for your unborn child. I would talk to your unborn child. Sing to your unborn child. Let your child listen to the University of Georgia football network. Let this all take place. It's the will of God. So how do we apply it? Number one, become aware that God is the progenitor of life. Life begins with God. That's the source of life. If you've got that down, you're going to have everything else down. Number two, remember that you, in your marriage, you have the ability to beget life. God, look at me. God created you, but he made you a creative being. Isn't that powerful? God created you. And I don't mean this to be mean, but two men can't do this. Two women can't do this. But a man and a woman coming together in holy matrimony, they can beget life. Third, conception is a human responsibility. You are not going to be able to shirk your responsibility before God by saying, I can't afford it, so we aborted it. It's not a convenient time, so we aborted it. You can find grace. You can find forgiveness. You can find mercy. But don't 
think you can just presumptuously sin against God and rebel. Fourthly, tonight, I would say to you, life is immortal. Your life is immortal. The life of your child is immortal. And then fifthly, bring your child to be dedicated to the Lord. Jesus was dedicated. All of the Jewish people dedicated their babies. If your baby hasn't been dedicated, dedicate to the Lord. And let me just say this one other thing. Every time I've held a baby in my hands or I've been there and prayed with a couple, and I did this for my unborn grandchild just recently, we've dedicated that baby to the Lord. She says, Lord, we give you, I told you about Elizabeth at the first service, we give you Elizabeth, we dedicate her to you. She is yours. We know she's in the presence of the Lord. I have my own little nickname for my unborn grandchild. Every once in a while, I tell the Lord, I says, Father, will you tell him? I, I, I know he's a him. Will you tell him? I can't wait to meet him. He may, him may be a girl, so I'll have to meet a girl when I get to heaven, but I just, we just have grandsons. I just tell him, dedicate your children to the Lord, including those that never got to take their first breath of life outside the womb. Can you say amen? I hope this brings comfort to you. I hope this brings up. If you have questions about this, just email me right here at info at woodland.church. I'll be glad to dialogue with you. Let's stand together. I want to pray for those that you've lost a child or you've lost a baby through miscarriage. Father, you are the one who heals us and comforts us. And what I've given people tonight, Lord, is your word. It's not sentimentality. It's not guesswork. Lord, I've tried to stay very narrow, just stay in the track that the, you have given us. There's so much that I think about that I'd like to talk about, but I can't in a sermon because it would be speculation. I just want to stay with revelation, Lord. I just want to stay with what you have shown to be the word of the Lord. So I pray you will comfort those mothers and fathers that have lost a child. I pray that, Lord, you will bring to comfort those who have aborted their child for so many before they came to know Jesus, Lord. They, they aborted their child, and, Lord, now they're dealing with so much pain as a result of that. Let them know there is grace where sin did abound. Grace did much more abound. And finally, Father, I pray this evening that you will help us all, Lord, to have a deeper and more profound respect for human life and never give up the fight for the unborn child. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for watching tonight. Thank you for being here. It feels good to see people's faces again on a Wednesday night. God bless you. Good night.